Good morning. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, where in just a moment I'll be reading a passage of Scripture that will be the foundation for this morning's message. And while you're turning to Ephesians 3, let me also say thank you on behalf of Gateway Seminary for your longtime support of our school. You may have known us as Golden Gate Seminary for many years, a part of the Southern Baptist family. Our name changed in 2016. Our seminary was founded in 1944, adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention in 1950, and since then you've been supporting us by your gifts through the cooperative program. Gateway Seminary exists today by the grace of God and the gifts and prayers of churches like yours. Our accreditors say we're the most multicultural seminary in North America, and with over 2,100 students enrolled last year, we're one of the 10 largest seminaries in North America, and my friends, listen, that would not have happened were we depending on Southern Baptists in the Western United States to build a great seminary. There just aren't enough of us. But thank God for the cooperative program and churches like yours who've stood with us now for about 70 years and have made our school what it is today. So on behalf of Gateway Seminary, thank you so much for making us possible. Now you've asked me here this morning to preach on this day, you emphasize missions and partnerships, and I'm delighted to do that. The word call has many different meanings, but this morning, I'd like for us to consider what it means in terms of opportunity and responsibility. Now, we use this word outside of church to mean opportunity and responsibility when we say we've been called up from the junior varsity to the varsity or called up from the reserves into active duty. A call means we've been given new opportunity and new responsibility. My friends, you have been given an opportunity and a responsibility for the mission of God in our world today. One biblical Christian who described what it meant to him was named Paul. And he tells us part of his story in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And I want to show you how his story and your story are parallel this morning as I challenge you to accept your responsibility and your opportunity to be on mission with God in the world today. Ephesians chapter 3, picking up his, Paul's story in verse 7. He writes, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things." This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory." This passage of Scripture begins by saying that our mission's responsibility came to us in the moment of our conversion. Now, look with me in the text. The Bible says first that Paul, writing I, he says in verse 7, was made what? A servant of this gospel. Now, that's interesting phrasing, servant of the gospel. 
Normally, when we use the word servant, we think of serving another person and doing for them what they either cannot do for themselves or it may not be appropriate for them to do in the moment for themselves. We normally think of serving another person. But this is a unique time in the Bible when it says instead of serving another person, Paul describes himself as a servant of the gospel, meaning that he's going to do something for the gospel that it cannot do for itself. Now, that's an interesting consideration. The gospel is powerful. The Bible says it's the power of God unto salvation. It has the capacity to generate life and to bring someone out of darkness into life. The gospel is powerful. And yet in this context, Paul said that he was a servant of the gospel, meaning that he did something for the gospel it could not do for itself. Do you know the only thing the gospel cannot do for itself is transmit itself from one person to another? The gospel requires you and I to take care of that responsibility. And so what it means to be a servant of the gospel is to me is to be a transporter, a communicator, a transmitter, if you will, of the gospel. Paul said, I became a servant of this gospel when? He says, by the gift of God's grace. Now, from other writings in even the book of Ephesians, we know that this phrase, by the gift of God's grace, means in the moment of salvation or the moment of conversion. For example, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you are saved, and that not of yourselves, it is by faith, a gift of God. And so we know that this phrase, by the gift of God's grace, is Paul saying, I became a servant of the gospel, a transmitter of the gospel, a communicator of the gospel. I became that person when in the moment of my conversion. I became that person in the moment that I received the gift of God's grace. And then he goes on to say, this was given to me the least of all the saints, meaning he describes himself as being unworthy of such a responsibility, but nevertheless, one that has come to him. Now let me talk with you about what this means for you this morning. Just like Paul, you are a servant of the gospel. You have a responsibility a missional responsibility to communicate the gospel to other people and to make sure that other people have the same opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ that you yourself have been given. And the Bible says, just like Paul, that you receive that responsibility in the moment of your conversion. That means that every one of you in this room today who considers yourself a Christian, who's a follower of Jesus, who has received the gospel, who has, in Paul's words, receive the gift of God's grace, every single one of you has this responsibility to serve the gospel by making sure that other people hear it because of your efforts. Now, you may be thinking, I did not know that happened to me in the moment of my conversion. I I, I was a child in vacation Bible school, six years old, and you're telling me that in that moment I became responsible to get the gospel to other people? That's exactly what I'm saying. Whether you were a child in a vacation Bible school or a teenager at a youth camp or a college student in a dorm Bible study or a young adult person having someone share the gospel in your living room or maybe you were an older adult who came to this church and heard the gospel in this room and in that moment you received, in Paul's words, the gift of God's grace, it doesn't really matter to me when you became a Christian. I'm here to announce to you this morning that in the moment of your conversion, 
You received this mission's responsibility to serve the gospel by getting it to other people. Now, you may say, well, I did not know you could make that kind of commitment and get that much responsibility without being aware of it. Well, of course you can. Here's one illustration, marriage. (laughs) 42 years ago, my wife Ann and I stood in front of a Baptist preacher in a church like this and said, I do. And quite frankly, we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea that the commitment we were making would bring with it the kind of unfolding responsibility it has shown us over these 42 years. Just for example, I've only been married to Anne for 42 years, but I've now been married to at least three different women. (laughs) And it's been my responsibility to live out my commitment by learning to love, live with, and serve each of these women. For example, when I married my wife, she was so shy that she could not look you in the eye when she spoke to you almost backwards in her capacity to work with and relate to other people. Then she morphed into Supermom with a minivan. And for a number of years, she did this remarkable, uh, went through this remarkable transformation of becoming this confident mother of three very active children. And then we moved to the seminary and she morphed into ministry dynamo Ann. The culmination of that was this past summer. My wife, who 42 years ago could not look you in the eye when she had a conversation with you, this past summer was the national chairwoman of the Southern Baptist Convention Minister's Wives Luncheon at the SBC meeting in Anaheim, California. 1,500 women came to lunch with my wife. And she stood up after two years of leading that process and welcomed them, led the meeting, hosted the luncheon, put on the program in a spectacular kind of way. I have been married to three different women. Now, just so you know, I am the same charming, wonderful man I've always been. (laughs) It's been 42 years of absolute bliss and sweetness for my wife. She's not had to do any of this that I'm describing that I've lived through. All I'm trying to get you to see is it is possible to make a commitment and receive responsibility that unfolds over a lifetime that you may not fully have understood in the moment, but nevertheless is real. I'm telling you this morning, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ in the moment of your conversion, when you received the gift of God's grace, in that moment, you became responsible to get the gospel to other people. You became responsible to serve the gospel. You took on this missional responsibility. Are we all together on this now? Well, some of you still aren't there, and I'll tell you why. Because you're thinking, no, not me. Not me. This is all preacher talk. That's all it is. Yeah, this might apply to the deacons and maybe the pastors and maybe the Sunday school teachers and maybe some of the committed people here, but but it doesn't apply to me because, preacher, you just don't know me. I'm not much of a Christian.
Frankly, if you knew the sins in my life and the thoughts I have and the weaknesses I experience and the smallness of my faith, you'd exclude me from the group. Well, I have good news for you this morning. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself or how low you put yourself on the ranking of Christian uh, commitment, you're still included. Here's why. Because Paul trumps everybody. What does he say? He says, I am the least of all the saints. So what he's saying is, if you stacked up all the Christians of all time on a list of continuum, from the most committed to the least committed, from the most holy to the least holy, from the most devoted to the least devoted, Paul would say, I'm still ranked dead last, which means all the rest of you are ranked higher, which means all the rest of you are included this morning. Now are you all with me? So this passage of Scripture begins by saying that our responsibility to be on mission with the gospel our responsibility to share the gospel with others, our responsibility to be, in the words of the text, a servant of the gospel, came to every one of us in this room in the moment of our conversion. And no matter what we may think of ourselves and how we might evaluate ourselves in terms of our fulfilling that responsibility, it still applies because we outrank the one who described himself in this text as the least of all the saints. Now, the second big idea in the text is this. Our mission's responsibility is primarily to people, not places. Now, look with me in the text. In verse 9, Paul says that he generally feels called to everyone. He said that I'm here to shed the light for all. But then in verse 8, he gets a little more specific. He talks about his special assignment. He says, this grace was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Now, admittedly, the Gentiles are a lot of people. But remember that in the first century world, there was a very uh, strong distinction between Jew and Gentile. And the Christian movement started as a Jewish movement and retained its Jewish heritage for many years in its formative years. But Paul said, I came along and I was given a different assignment. I wasn't supposed to be uh, to the Jewish community. I was supposed to take the gospel to the Gentile community. Now, it's very interesting what Paul says here. God has given me responsibility to get the gospel to the Gentiles. Notice that he doesn't name a place. This is striking. Because Paul was one of the best-traveled Christians in the New Testament world. The book of Acts, for example, records five different trips, three of them considered Paul's traditional three missionary journeys. But the Bible records in the book of Acts multiple trips of Paul, multiple locations where he visited, multiple cities that are named, and yet in this context where he's writing his own story, he does not mention even one place. Instead, he mentions a people. This is so significant because some of you disqualify yourselves from the missional responsibility you've been given because you don't believe God ever wants you to change places. And I would actually affirm that. Most of you 
are never going to move away from South Carolina. And there's not anything wrong with that. But because you're not going to change places, you have dismissed yourself from this missional responsibility. Listen, friends, your responsibility to get the gospel is to get the gospel to other people, not to other places. Now, I'm going to talk just a moment about what it means to change places, but let's just focus for just a few more moments on what it means to get the gospel to people. As you know, I lead a seminary on the West Coast, and when students come to our school, I often greet new students by asking them about their family life and their, where they've moved from and other questions, but another common question I ask new students is, what do you plan to do when you graduate? And when a student says to me, well, when I graduate, I hope to go to China as a missionary, I will say, that is fantastic. You've come just to the right place. There are multiple Chinese churches in our area, both Mandarin and Cantonese speaking. You'll be able to join one of those very soon, start learning culture, helping, uh, starting, uh, start, start language acquisition, uh, start learning what it means to evangelize in that context. This is so exciting for you. And then if the student says, oh no, no, that's for after graduation, I know they're confused because they believe God has called them to China That's not true. God has called them to reach Chinese people, and that can start right now. For example, a student came to Gateway a few years ago, and I said this question, uh, what do you plan to do when you graduate? He said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I've just come from serving two years in a place that speaks Portuguese, and I believe that uh, that language acquisition that I I was able to achieve during that time is going to be useful for me in the future, and I want to go back into a Portuguese-speaking country uh, as soon as I graduate and share the gospel and build churches and do missions. And I said, that's fantastic. There's a Brazilian church right down the street from our school. And his eyes lit up, and he said, Where is it? That's what I'm looking for. I can't wait to get there. And I smiled on the inside because because I knew this student gets it. This student understands that while he may someday change places, if God has called him to reach Portuguese-speaking people, he needs to get on with it when? Right now. And that story has a good ending. That student did join that church and is today serving internationally. And it's a remarkable and having a remarkable impact And we saw it from the very beginning because this student understand his call was to places, excuse me, to people, not places. Now, this part of the message gets a little personal, so stay with me. Some of you will go on a mission trip to India, but you will not go to an Indian restaurant in your community and befriend the family that owns it. I don't understand that. Some of you will go to Mexico on a mission trip, but you won't go into the community of Mexican immigrants in your community and build relationships for the gospel. I'm talking about getting past thinking about missions as places and start thinking about missions as people. You say, well, God has given me a a burden, a burden to share the gospel with Southeast Asians. Listen, there are Southeast Asians on the college campuses in your communities who have come here to go to school who do not yet know the gospel. Why aren't you reaching out and building relationships with them and, and sharing the gospel with Southeast Asians right here? 
You see, there is a place, uh, there is a time to change places. God sometimes stirs up within us a burden that is so great for a place like China or Southeast Asia or Mexico or India. God somehow stirs something so deep within us that we need to change places. I get that and I affirm it. I'm supportive of it. In fact, I've given a lot of my life to trying to help more people do that. But I want you to understand that your call to missions is not defined by going places. Your call to missions is defined by reaching people. And wherever you find those people, you must reach them. Now, back to that young man who I told you spoke Portuguese and came to our campus. So while he was at our school, God shifted his direction away from Portuguese-speaking world to India. And he became convinced that God wanted him to reach Southeast Asians or South Asians, particularly Indian uh, people groups. And so he went to India. While he was there serving very effectively, I might add, one of his children developed a health crisis, which meant that he had to leave India. But he said, I feel still called to reach Indian people, people in these certain people groups. So the International Mission Board said, there's 100,000 people from those people groups in Germany working as service workers. Would you go there? They have better, 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 better medical care for your child. So he then went to Germany to a city that 100,000 immigrants, service workers from this place in India where he'd formerly worked, and he continued to work with the people there that God had called him to reach. And he did that so well that now he's been moved to another city in Europe where there's a million people from India and other people, associated people groups, and he's been given responsibility for that entire work. Are you tracking with me here? God called him to a people, not a place, and when the place had to change, the call to the people was not relinquished. Oh, church, some of you may change places. I did once in my life. I moved to Portland, Oregon in 1989. My wife, three small children, to do what you've already heard testified about what's happening in New Hampshire. We moved there in 1989 to plant a church in that secular city, and we did that, and we spent years doing that. We had to change places in order to reach the people of Portland, Oregon. I get that. I'm not opposed to changing places. But I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you that your missional responsibility is first of all to people. And I want to challenge you to ask and answer this question for yourself. Who are my Gentiles? Paul said, I'm going after the Gentiles with the gospel. And I ask you the same question this morning. Who are your Gentiles? Who are the people that God has put on your heart? Who are the people that God has filled up in your mind? Who are the people that God has brought into your awareness? Who are the people that you have a special heartbeat for? Who are the people that just raise up some passion within you? Who are those people? And when you identify those people, whether they are teenagers in your community, uh, uh, Southeast Asians on your campuses, migrants working in your city, people that are hopelessly bound up in drugs and alcohol, whatever the people are that you feel most passionate about reaching, go after them with the gospel. And then if God says change places, pack your bags. But start with the people, result in the places. Well, a third big idea in the text is this. When we answer our missional responsibility or involve ourselves in this work I'm describing this morning, we connect with God's eternal purposes. 
Let's go on in the text. Continuing in verse 9 is some of the most theologically rich language in the New Testament. Paul says this, I have the opportunity to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What language this is. Paul said, I'm talking about the mystery. The mystery. Now, this is not a whodunit type mystery. This word mystery means the full mystery of all that God was accomplishing in Jesus Christ. He said this mystery was hidden for ages in God, but now, but now it's being revealed. And how is it being revealed? Through the church, the multifaceted wisdom, the Bible says, of the church, meaning that the church is now the full expression of all that God was trying to accomplish by the mystery of the gospel being revealed. And then notice it says this is according to God's eternal purpose for the ages. All of this flowery, deep, rich language is saying this. Before there was anything, there was God. And God had it in his mind's eye that he wanted a people, a people for his eternal companionship. And so God spoke, and the universe came into existence. And God formed a man and then a woman. And from them, the human race originated. Sin entered the world and broke off that relationship they had with God. And then, and then, God sent a redeemer, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made it possible for people to have their sin forgiven and to come back into relationship with God. And not just a few people, but people from every tribe, language, village, people, tongue, and nation from all over the world so that the multifaceted wisdom of God would be revealed through the church. And this, it says, is God's eternal purpose that resounds through the ages. That's what God is doing in our world today. And when you accept your mission responsibility, you get to plug in directly to what God is doing in the world today. And you get to connect directly with God's eternal purpose for the universe. I thought you'd be more excited about that. Let me tell you about your life. It's boring. You know why I know your life is boring? Because a lot of my life is boring. You say, oh, no, you're the president of a seminary. Well, let me tell you about my work. I go to meetings. I answer email. I talk on the phone. And then we get lunch. And after lunch... Hold yourself. I go to more meetings and I answer more email. And get this, I talk more on the phone. But let me tell you about what it's like at my house. I get off work and I go home. And my wife and I cook dinner. We grill something and we steam something because that's what old people eat. 
nothing fried, and God forbid any bread walk through our house. You know what I mean? And after we grill something and steam something, we clean it up. We load the dishwasher. Sometimes she and I will play a game on our tablets. We might watch something on TV. We go to bed. And that's a day in the life of the president. (laughs) Except the next day, I might reverse the order. I might do email first and then go to meetings and then talk on the phone. And the next night, since it's Tuesday now, we might do laundry. And on Thursday night, we get the trash out to the curb so the trash people can take it away on Friday. Am I describing your life? You say, no, no, you left part of mine out. I've got diapers, PTA meeting, ball games, homework. Your life's boring. It's a boring routine of sameness. But let me tell you about one day in my life, just one. I had befriended a young man who was in his late 20s, early 30s. He was a new age religionist, serious about discovering all kinds of spiritual uh, realities by studying things like crystals and chanting and ancient religions. And then one day, for a number of different reasons, he decided to read the Bible. We had been friends for a while at this point, and he said, I have been reading the Bible and I have some questions. I thought, oh, brother, he's gonna wanna know about the spirit in the trees or some weird thing that he thinks he can find in the Bible. I'd had so many conversations with this young man and they were so random and so unusual. But that day he said, hey, here's my question from the Bible. What does it mean to be born again and is that anything like having your sins forgiven? So for the next 45 minutes, I walked him through what the Bible says about the gospel. And at the end of that conversation, I said, Understanding what I'm telling you today, would you like to pray with me and commit your life to Jesus Christ? And he said, yes. And we bowed our heads together in a little conference room, and he prayed with me and committed his life to Jesus Christ. And then, this is a direct quote. When we finished the prayer, he leaned back in his chair and went, I said, you all right? And this is his quote. He said, All my life, people have been telling me I could find God if I looked within, but he was never there until right now. Listen, my friends, in that moment, I touched eternity. I touched eternity because in that moment, I saw a person's life transformed. And then, a few weeks later, his wife came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I see them now living a life of commitment to Jesus Christ, and I know that in one moment of sharing the gospel with him, after months of friendship prior to that, I might add, in that moment, I did something eternal. 
I shattered all the boredom and routine of my life, and in that moment, I touched eternity. And you can do the same thing. Listen, if you're looking to invest your life in something that is a part of what God is doing in the universe, this passage of Scripture says, accept your missional responsibility, commit yourself to going to people with the gospel, and when you do that and you see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will know that in that moment you touched eternity. Well, one last thing. One last thing. Our missional responsibility, our call to be on mission, is worthy of our sacrifice. Now notice the last verse. Paul writes, So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. You know, from the outside, the life I'm describing this morning looks like a sacrifice. Paul said, don't, don't let it discourage you what you're see, seeing me go through, these afflictions on your behalf. Don't let that discourage you. Because from the outside, sacrifice looks onerous. But from the inside, it looks very different. From the inside, Paul said, I see it differently. Don't be discouraged about what you're seeing because I see it as being for your glory. This is for God's glory. This is for your glory. This is for good that's going to happen. That's how I see it. You know, a number of years ago, as I've said earlier in the message, we moved to Portland, Oregon. I was a pastor in the Midwest at the time of a not huge church, but a substantial church with a good staff and nice salary. And we determined that God wanted us to move to Portland, Oregon and start a church. It was a transition moment in our lives. I was turning 30 that year. We had three children under age five, including one that was just six weeks old at the time we moved. When we announced that we were moving to Portland, Oregon, the response, especially to my wife, was very interesting. Many women in our church came to my wife and said, I can't believe you're having to do this. You're having to move to Portland, Oregon. It's going to be awful for you there. There's no church to support you. There's very few Christians in your community. There's really not any, any real financial resource to sustain you. It's going to be so hard. We're so discouraged for you. Now, my wife tried to keep a straight face, quite frankly, because there were two things about moving to Portland that most people didn't realize. Number one, she had made a commitment when she was 12 years old to be a missionary, and she'd been waiting on me to get moving. And number two, my wife came from a very small family, and the most committed Christian couple in her family was her aunt and uncle, who were ministry leaders, guess where, in Portland, Oregon. She hadn't seen them except maybe once every four or five years in her lifetime, and now she was getting to move into their city. So my wife would walk around saying, yes, I'm trying to be discouraged, but this is actually the greatest thing ever because I get to obey God and be a missionary, and I get to be closer to, even to my family and to people that I know care about me. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. 
That's how Paul's describing this to these Ephesians. He says, you look at it from the outside and you're discouraged, but I'm looking at it from the inside and I see it's for your glory and I can't wait to be a part of it. You know, sacrifice is a difficult concept for many of us in a church like this. A recent survey of 1,000 pastors by LifeWay Research asked this question, what is the greatest idol in the American church? And do you know what the overwhelming answer was? Comfort. Comfort. We will spend huge amounts of money to have nicer buildings with better facilities, larger staffs, more comfortable programs, because we love comfort. But a Christian who accepts a missional responsibility to take the gospel to people, and sometimes places, who connects with God's eternal purposes, recognizes that there is going to be some sacrifice involved if we're going to be serious about this mission. You know, one of my favorite stories of sacrifice comes comes from a book entitled The Cry of the Kalahari. The Kalahari is a desert region in Africa. And a couple spent their lives there. They later wrote their story, and I just want to read you just a short part of what they said. Mark writes this. Deliah and I met in class at the University of Georgia, and it didn't take us long to find out that we shared the same goal. By the end of the semester, we knew that, we that when we went to Africa, it would have to be together. We decided to take leave from the university and earn enough money to finance the trip. Once a site had been chosen for our work, we thought someone would surely grant us the funds to continue. But after six months of teaching, we had saved nothing. I switched jobs and began operating a stone quarry crusher while Deliah worked at odd jobs. At the end of another six months, we had saved $4,900 plus money for airfare to Johannesburg, but it was still not enough. Trying desperately to raise more, we piled everything we owned, stereo, television, fishing rod and reel, pots and pans, into our old station wagon and drove it to the quarry one morning just as the men were coming off the night shift. I auctioned it all away, including the car, for $1,100. A year after we were married, we boarded a plane with two backpacks, two sleeping bags, one pup tent, a small cooking kit, a camera, one change of clothes each, and $6,000. It was all we had, but we were going to Africa to study the brown hyena. The brown hyena. The cry of the Kalahari is the story of Mark and Deliah Owens giving their lives for the advancement of knowledge of large carnivores in the Kalahari Desert where they lived for 30 years and are considered global experts today on large carnivores in that region. I don't criticize them. I admire their sacrifice for something they really believed in. Look, 
When couples are willing to make this kind of sacrifice for the brown hyena, how can we sit here this morning and say, well, we'll just do a little bit, but we're not going to do anything that threatens our comfort for the mission of the gospel. I mean, yeah, we need to get more involved, but let's be serious here now. Church, what's wrong with us? People in our culture are sacrificing so much to advance causes like gender fluidity and the redefinition of marriage. They're sacrificing so much around the world to advance causes like terrorist activity and the promotion of warfare to overthrow legitimate governments in Ukraine. Listen, what I'm telling you today is that people around the world are making incredible sacrifice to advance political and social agenda while we sit here arguing over whether we're going to give another quarter percent or something like that to missions. I'm calling on you this morning morning to ask yourselves, what will I sacrifice? What will I really give up for the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What will I give up personally and financially to advance this gospel? Sacrifice always has two components. It's personal and it's proportional. It's personal. I can't tell you what is a sacrifice for you. You'll have to decide that. My wife were here this morning. She would say, it's true. It was no sacrifice for me to move to Portland, Oregon. That was glory. But a few years later, when we were at the seminary and we decided to relocate from San Francisco to Los Angeles and change our name from Golden Gate to Gateway, my wife had more of a struggle. She'll tell you that story if she were here today. Because she was so immersed in our ministry in San Francisco that leaving it was very difficult, especially the church ministry in downtown San Francisco where we were members of First Baptist Church. Because you see, sacrifice is personal. What looks like a sacrifice to one may not be to another. So I'm challenging you this morning not to look around and say, what are other people doing? But I'm challenging you to look in and say, God, what do you want from me? that really will cost me something. And it's proportional. What's a sacrifice for one isn't for another. We were once involved in a church building program that advocated equal, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. One of the members came to me and said, I've got an issue. I could write a check for the whole program and it still wouldn't be a sacrifice. But I don't think that would be helpful to the whole church. I think everyone needs to be a part of this process. So he and I had a long conversation about what he could do with his resources so that his giving ultimately to a lot of places was truly a sacrifice, but proportionality for him was a different issue than it would be for the most of us. Are you tracking with me this morning? I'm not here to tell you what is the sacrifice you should make, but I am here to challenge you with this. The the gospel is worthy of our sacrifice. It's worthy of giving up some things. It's worthy of you giving up your time and your talent and your treasure. It's worth you giving up something that is personally and proportionally difficult for you so that you actually make the choice to have and to enjoy and to do less so that others might have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, I've tried to help you see all of us have a mission's responsibility That responsibility is to people more than places. When we plug ourselves into this work of sharing the gospel and making sure other people hear it, we are connecting most closely as possible with God's eternal purposes. And when we do this, it is worthy of our sacrifice.
Will you bow your heads with me now this morning? And I'd like to lead us in prayer together and then your pastor will come and lead you in a time of response today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being on mission with you. So many ways you could have chosen to communicate the gospel to the whole world, but you left it with us. And so I pray just now, Heavenly Father, for this dear church that's gathered to celebrate missions and to focus their attention on what you want to accomplish in the future through them. Oh, dear God, move around this room right now and transform people in their commitment to the mission. And Lord, there are perhaps some here today who really resonate with the call to change places. And if you're speaking to someone today about giving their lives in missionary service somewhere else around the globe, speak to them clearly as well and give them a heart to obey you. Now we release ourselves to you, Holy Heavenly Father, and we ask you to seal our commitments today as we're making them all around the room. In Jesus' name, amen.